1 Corinthians chapter 9. We just want to lift one verse out and keep your Bible open because we're going to go other places with it. We want to speak tonight simply on the title, Preach the Gospel. Preach the Gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, please. And let's just lift verse 16. The Apostle Paul says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Let's pray. Father, would you now speak to our hearts as we even speak about your son? And we don't know every heart in here, but we pray if there's one here that's whether young or old, male or female, boy or girl, Lord, we pray that you would speak to them and save their soul, that they may not leave here tonight without knowing the Lord Jesus as their Savior. Thank you for loving us, Lord, and for all you've done for us and do for us. And we thank you for the Christ of God who died on the cross, your only begotten Son. And so now, Lord, we ask you, Lord, that your Spirit would move in our lives and in our hearts this evening. Even those of us who are saved, we will rejoice and see him afresh. We'll see the Christ who died for us all over again. So we ask you, Lord, that you would settle us now in your presence. For Jesus' name's sake we pray. Amen. Paul says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, from verses 12 to 18, Throughout those seven verses, you'll read the word or the term, the gospel, is mentioned nine times. Nine times in seven verses. In fact, it's the uh, most, it's used in any chapter of the New Testament at all. Nine times in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 from those verses. Paul says he cannot glory of it. Look what he says, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. Paul is saying, I cannot glory of the gospel as it isn't Paul's glory to have. Any preacher, any man that's looking for the glory when he's preaching the gospel, that is, look at what I have accomplished and done. It is not the gospel. Anyone who's taken you away from the person of Christ and preaching anything but the person of Christ. They are not preaching the gospel, they're preaching another gospel. Churches are replacing the gospel, that is, of saving grace. They're replacing it with fads. They're trying to replace the gospel with entertainment, trying to replace the gospel with everything that will draw the people in. I've heard of coffee evenings and and Sunday evenings. I've even heard of one in Belfast, beer-tasting evenings. I've heard of of things like movie nights on the Sunday evening, football on the screen on Sunday to get the people in, they say, but into what? What are they bringing the people into? You may get the lost to pack your church, but you're never going to get them saved. Save you preach the gospel unto them. Christ must always be exalted. He must always be lifted up. He must always be central to all that we are. And in every message that is taught 
or preached from a pulpit, Christ must be the one who receives the glory. Even the apostle Paul says, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. You see, he says, it's not my glory. This is Paul's gospel to tell. You have the gospel to tell. It's yours in that sense. In fact, Paul calls it at one time, I preached the gospel, my gospel he mentions. It's not about Paul, but it's the gospel that Paul has to tell. And Paul is not subject, nor is he the author, nor the source of the gospel. Paul is not the object even of it. Paul is the recipient of the gospel. And you are the recipient of the gospel, those of us who are saved. The gospel isn't about the preacher. The gospel isn't about the man or the woman. The gospel is presenting Christ to those who are standing or sitting before him. That's the gospel. It's about presenting Christ to a lost and a dying world. It's about presenting Christ and Christ alone, even to his own people who will see him anew and afresh that they may keep their love for him burning bright in their hearts. I, I, may have, I think I've told you this story before, but I'll tell you it again. Away in the late 1800s, D.L. Moody came from Chicago to London. And D.L. Moody was taken to two preachers to hear them. And first of all, he was taken to Joseph Parker in the morning to hear Joseph Parker preach. He was a great orator. I have some of Joseph Parker's writings, and they're great. But he says, uh, he takes him to, the, to hear Joseph Parker, and then coming out, his friend says, well, uh, Mr. Moody, what did you think? And, and D.L. Moody, thinking about what he had heard that morning, he sums it up in his mind and his heart, and he says, turning to his friend, he says, what a preacher, what a preacher. That evening, he takes him over to the Elephant and Castle area in London and goes to the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London to hear Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher. And on leaving there, the man turns and says to D.L. Moody, well, Mr. Moody, what do you think? And summing up in his heart and in his mind, D.L. Moody turns to his friend and says, what a Christ. What a Christ. The difference is it's not what a preacher. The difference is what a Christ. The preacher should always be presenting Christ, not presenting fads, not things to bring into church to get the unsaved and to let them go out lost the same way they come in, but rather to preach Christ and Christ alone. Paul says, I have nothing to glory of it, but I am the recipient of it. Paul cannot glory of it, but he can glory in it. Listen, you cannot glory off the cross, but you can glory in it. You cannot glory off the gospel, what Christ has accomplished and done, but you can glory in it, in the cross, in the cross. Be my glory ever. And that is our glory, what Christ has done for us. So the gospel, what is the gospel? The gospel is the word euangelizo. Euangelizo. And it actually means to evangelize. It means good news and glad tidings. In fact, if you were to go and look it up online for other languages, even whether it's Danish, 
even or, or Dutch or uh, Finnish. I tried to remember them all, but they all get all mixed up after a while. And in our English rendering, it, you can see the word made out, evangelize or, or good news to, to talk of or to evangelize in different terms. That is, uh, to evangelize in the spelling of different terms. I tried other languages, but they were all letters I couldn't understand. But the gospel or euangelizo means glad tidings or good news. The English word gospel is derived from the old Anglo-Saxon word Godspell. Godspell. And Godspell means good story. Good story. The gospel is good news to all who hear it with ears to hear. To all who believe it and to all who receive it. And it causes the hearer to glory in it. Every time you hear the gospel, some people say, oh, it's just a gospel message. No, it isn't a gospel, just a gospel message. And it's a powerful message. It's a wonderful message. It's a beautiful message. And it's a message that we all should be rejoicing in, uh, not glorying off it as our own glory, but rather glorying in it because we know the Christ who died for us. Notice this. The gospel is a good story, a God spell. A good story about God. That's what it means. The gospel isn't a good story about humanity. It isn't a good story about prophets in the Bible. Although we can use the things, the foreshadowings and the types and all that happened in the Old Testament and we can produce and see the gospel in it. And we, can, we know that the fulfillment of the gospel is even seen through the prophets in Christ. But notice this, the gospel is a good story about God. It's glad tidings for you, but it's a good story about God. The gospel is good news for the sinner and for the unsaved man and woman. Here's something else the gospel is. It's good news or glad tidings for the sick. The sick in body. It's good news and glad tidings for the infirm. The gospel is good news for the broken and the wounded, for the prisoner and the captive. The gospel is good news for the weak and it is good news for the addict. The gospel is good news. It's glad tidings. It means it's a joyful declaration to men and women without hope. It's a joyful declaration to men and women who are in a terrible state. It's a joyful declaration to all who see a need of change but realize they cannot see for even they cannot know the way out. Even as the psalmist said, he hath brought me up also out of an horrible pit and from the merry clay and he has set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and shall fear and shall trust in the Lord. This is the gospel that those of us who are in the merry clay of sin and sickness, those of us who are in the pit, the horrible pit that we cannot get out of nor climb out of, that Christ comes right down from heaven. It's a story about God. 
and he comes into our pit and he digs us out and he lifts us up and he sets our feet upon a rock and he establishes our goings and he changes us and he puts a new song in our mouth and it's even praise unto our God. Notice, not praise unto man, nor praise unto woman. It's not praise unto things in the church. It's not praise unto a denomination. Even praise unto our God and many shall see and shall fear and trust in the Lord. It is a testimony of saving grace. That's the gospel. That is the gospel. The gospel is a good news and glad tidings, a joyful declaration to those who cannot see a change or need. They know they need a change but cannot see the way out. The gospel is the God spell, the good news story about God. Listen to John Calvin. John Calvin says the whole gospel is contained in Christ. John Calvin says the whole gospel is contained in Christ. Again, he says, whenever the gospel is preached, it is as if God himself came into the midst of us. You see, when the gospel is preached, it's because the Holy Spirit elevates Christ. The Spirit of God elevates the Son of God elevates the Lord Jesus Christ and he comes into the midst of us when we preach the gospel. Listen to Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He said, if the Lord's bearing our sin for us is not the gospel, I have no gospel to preach. If the Lord's bearing our sin for us, if that isn't the gospel, he says, I have no gospel. And yet there are many men who are trying to say we have a gospel and it's a gospel to do with prosperity. And it's a gospel to do with finance. And it's a gospel to do with having jet planes and, uh, and all of these riches. And it's a money gospel. It's turning uh, the anointing into cash, as someone has once put it. They are prophets for a profit. And what they are saying, that they're saying that this is the gospel, the blessing of the riches of this world. And yet the Bible says the gospel is that Christ died for our sins. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel. There is no other gospel. Charles Haddon Spurgeon says again, the heart of the gospel is redemption. Notice the heart of the gospel is redemption, and the essence of redemption is the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. The very heart of the gospel is God coming to sinful man, the good news about God. The good news about God coming to sinful man, redemption, buying us back again, buying us from our lost estate. The gospel is this good news and the essence of redemption is all found on the Lamb of God who took our place. And the Lamb of God who bore our sin and shame. And the Lamb of God who shed his precious blood that we might be saved and forgiven. Listen, one more quotation for the moment. Reformed theologian, Professor Derek Thomas, he says, the gospel is not God loves you, but God loves us at the cost of his son. Now that's the gospel. I'm going to say it again. The gospel is not God loves you. The gospel is God loves us at the cost of his son. That is the gospel. The gospel is good news. Good news about God. But good news about God coming to earth and taking upon him the form of a man in the person of Christ, that he would take the man of the earth and conform him to the image of his only son. 
The gospel is about the lost, dying, hell-bound humanity being rescued by Christ, redeemed through the shedding of his precious blood, delivered from this present evil world, being reconciled to God, restored into relationship with him, and being made acceptable and received into the presence of the Father. That's the gospel. Anything short of it is not the gospel. It is another gospel. The gospel is good news of how God, who is very aloof and lifted up, he who is the Almighty, the self-existing eternal one, the creator, the maker, the keeper, and the sustainer, he who upholds all things by the word of his power, who is, who is independent of all others and all else, who is transcendently higher in thought and ways to you and I, who is transcendently higher in his actions and his justice, who is transcendently higher in his personality and his character, who is transcendently higher than all, he who is unattainable, unknowable, unreachable, unfathomable, and indescribable. This one sees fallen, deplorable, depraved, and destitute man in his sin. His hopelessness, he sees his helplessness, and he's in his guilt before God. Guilty as charged. He is a wretched creature, proud and boastful, arrogant, selfish, lustfully driven by the deathliness of his fallen, cold, and lifeless heart and of his depraved nature. He is at enmity with God. In other words, he's an enemy of God. He's opposed to God. He's dead to God. And holy God looks upon him. And he says, there is none good. No, not one. Sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? But that's how God sees it. Romans chapter 3. Romans 3 and verse 10. Paul says, as it is written, there is none good, no, not one. That's Psalm 14 and verse 1. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There is none good, none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre. With their tongues have they used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Psalm 140 and 3 and Psalm 5 and 9 that is. Paul uses again the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Listen to what he says. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Psalm 10 and verse 7. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. Isaiah 59 and 7. Verse 17, he says, The way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Psalm 36 verse 1. And Paul takes the sword of the Spirit and he shows a man before God. Romans chapter 3 verses 10 to 18. See how God looks at this earth. And do you see what he sees when he's high and lifted up and in his holiness? What chance have we of ever attaining the kingdom of God? What hope has man 
lest something drastic happens. It's way out of our remit. It's way beyond our measure. You see that the property of our human nature is this, that being in Adam and our natures are fallen, it's not even so much that we can do the most deplorable things, but rather even the best of men are men at best. And the best of men, even those men, are sinful before God. And they cannot save themselves. They cannot save themselves. In other words, they're hell-bound, broad road to destruction for the lake of fire. Save, something happens. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. Here is the gospel. Praise God for his gospel. Praise God for his goodness. For when we were yet without strength, that's us. We have no hope in our depraved nature of salvation. For we were yet without strength in due time. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for you and I when we were in our sin. Christ died for you and I 2,000 years ago before we were even born. But he knew us, yet he loved us from before the foundation of the world. Christ died for the ungodly. Listen, you see, men and women say, I'll come to Christ when I clean up my act. There's a few things I need to put in order and try and batter my life up. You can't come to Christ, save the Holy Ghost call you. You can't come to Christ. You can't be saved, save the Holy Ghost quicken you. That's why today, do you hear it? Listen, today, today if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Not next week, not tomorrow, not the next meeting. Today, for he might not speak again. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The gospel is when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's me. He's talking about me. In verse 7, look, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. Let me tell you just what he's saying here. He says, look, see, even good men, you might get someone give their life. You might. You might get someone who will give their life for a good man. Someone who's a decent man. But what about the robber and the thief? What about the the rapist even and the murderer? What about those who are in prison for all manner of offenses? Even Christ can save them. And you and I don't like that. Our flesh cringes. But what about you? What about me? Oh, like someone's good. Somebody might give their life for them. But a man like that, who would ever think to give their life for a wretch like him in that prison cell? Jesus did. Jesus did. Verse 8, Romans 5 and 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Look, he commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners. You can't clean up your act. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While Ken was a wretch. I know today, it's not... I know today in, in modern preaching, and I know that it's all this sort of, you know, don't speak to people like that. I'm not in telling people the truth. See all of us, you know, 
Who wants Jesus to help them? Let's raise your hand. That's not the gospel. That's not saving grace. That's not conviction of sin. That's pleading and pleading to your own consciousness and to your flesh. Who wants Jesus to help them come up here? Oh, 1500s got saved. Rubbish. Salvation is the word of God entering the heart and changing the life. Turning around the life. Now, I'm not against appeals. I was saved in the appeal. You know that. But you know what I mean in saying that, I hope. Notice this. The gospel. Here he says that God commendeth his love toward us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See the word here for commendeth? That's a strange word. It's the word synestomy. And it comes from two words, which is soon, which is with, and his to me, which means to stand. And I try to get this if we can. I hope I can just put this over correctly the best I can. Here's this wretched people on an earth. Here's this fallen humanity, and they're depraved. And even in those days, wickedness and violence filled the earth, and it's the same today. And here it is, and God knew us all, and, and he looks upon it, and every one of us are on this great big uh, ball of planet called Earth, spinning in orbit. Spinning in orbit. And every time it does a lap, it's another year. A solar cycle. It's another year. And men are dying. And men are being born, and women are dying, and women are being born, and they're growing up before God without Christ. And they're going to a lost eternity. And there's coming a time clock, and this time clock is over, of the earth spinning around the sun as year follows year. Jesus is returning as part of the gospel. Now stand before God. So here he's looking at it. And God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Synestomy means to stand with In other words, when Christ died on the cross, God displayed himself. God displayed his love and his grace and his mercy in the person of Christ on the cross. In other words, this great spinning ball that's going to become a smoldering cinder save Christ's return because we'll destroy it. And he looks at it, and every single one of us, there's none righteous. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us. And he looks at it and he beholds it and examines it and he says, they're all guilty as charged. The word commendeth as love means to stand with. Let me give you the idea. Here is the cross. God comes in flesh in the person of his son and he hangs and bleeds and dies and even though the devil could point to me and my lifestyle and see him, see him, see him. And even though my own lifestyle testifies against me and the law of God testifies against me and testifies against you, the cross stands with us. Even when we didn't know him, the cross still stood with us. He had already paid the debt. He had already did it all. It means the place to gather and to stand with. Isn't it good, brethren, to know that even when we fail him, he still stands with us. He neither leaves us nor does he forsake us. The gospel is good news of how God came down, listen, and got involved in the lives of the lost sheep. How God came down and got involved in the lives of the ungodly wretches of this earth. He got involved, he interfered, and he intervened. Listen, he got involved. I'm glad that Jesus came and got involved in my life. 
I'm glad that Jesus came and that he interfered even when I didn't want him. He started to call me and started to prod me and he started to draw me. It's called irresistible grace. And he started to call me. Listen, Christ doesn't, he doesn't save a man against his will. He doesn't save a woman against her will. Rather, he makes them willing to be saved. Starts calling and drawing you. And he makes you willing to be saved. He interfered and he intervened when I couldn't come to where he was. I was in the horrible pit in the Mary Clay and so were many of you. He came to me. Yes, brothers and sisters, I'm glad he intervened. The gospel is that he became one of us and died that we could spend eternity with him and live. Because he lives, we shall live also. Listen, here's the gospel. We know it well. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In other words, there's men and women and they're perishing. Listen, verse 17. For God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18, he that believeth in him is not condemned. Notice, he that believeth in him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. You see, he looks and he sees and they're condemned. They're perishing. You're condemned and you're perishing outside of Christ. And he looks at it and he says, I have stood with you for I have given my son. If you believe in him, you'll not be condemned. But those who do not believe are condemned already. Listen to what he says. John says, and this is the condemnation. What is the condemnation? Listen, that light has come into the world, Jesus. That light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. All men hide from the gospel and they think it wrong to preach it and bad and don't upset the people when you bring this sort of message now in the year 2016. Look, if we get them in and we get them around a little cup of tea and say to them, do you want Jesus to help you? And say we prayer, is that not enough? No, it isn't. Men and women are going to hell because of these things. Oh, we're at that time in the last days when people will not endure sound doctrine, but will heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears, tell me what I, just what I want to hear, not what I need to hear. The preaching of the gospel is the preaching of good news, the good news that God has made a way for you. It's the good news that God has made a way to heaven or the kingdom for you. It's the good news of eternal life that is available to you. The good news is that Christ paid your debt of sin, that Christ paid it all in full. The gospel is the good news of the love that God brought down from heaven. The good news is about grace and mercy and kindness and goodness and forgiveness of God brought down from heaven to the foulest of sinners and the vilest of men, to the religious and to the self-righteous in order that they might be saved. And the preaching of the gospel is to awaken the souls of men and women for whom Christ died for. I'm going to say that again. The preaching of the gospel is to awaken the souls of men and women for whom Christ died for. Christ died for me. And the preaching of the gospel awakened my soul. The gospel is not flimsy fantasy. It's not a flight of fancy. It's not a story of folklore and fairy tale. 
The gospel is good news and the gospel is powerful good news. Listen, Romans 1 and 16, Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. The gospel is about Jesus. It's the power of God. The word power there is the word dunamis, where we get our word dynamite. And when you preach Christ and the gospel, how men are lost in their sin, transgressors of God's law, and bound for a lake of fire. When you preach that, the good news is, that's part of the gospel, to let them see where they are. The good news is this, if you repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I shall be saved. It's good news. It's good news. The power of God is full of dynamite. But listen, dynamite, if I got a stick of dynamite here, it's just, it's inherent power. It's inside it. The power's in it, but it won't, the power isn't released until you light the fuse and it hits the dynamite stick. But if I get dynamite there, we're pretty safe. But if I got a stick of dynamite and light the fuse, I wouldn't like to be the last one out the door because it would go off. You're releasing the power. Such is the word of God. Such is the gospel when it's preached. When it's preached, it has power to awaken the dead in their spirit and to bring men and women to glory. The gospel, the gospel is good news and it's about Jesus. As I wrap this up, I want to show you a few points on the full gospel. What do I mean the full gospel? The full gospel means Jesus, it presents him as Jesus as savior. Jesus as healer. Jesus as baptizer in the Holy Ghost. And Jesus as the soon coming king. The four square gospel. Jesus as the savior of the soul. Jesus as healer of the body. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the soon coming king. We have looked at him as Jesus the Savior. And many people stop there. That is not the full gospel, brothers and sisters. For example, Jesus is also healer. Luke 4 and 18. The Lord Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them or their bruised. Jesus comes and says, the Lord has anointed me with a spirit. And we're told that Jesus went about doing good, healing all manner of sicknesses. By his stripes he were healed, Peter says. The gospel is that on the cross, in the cross work of Christ, there is healing for the body. He's savior of the soul and he is the healer of the body. Also, he is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He says in the book of John, he takes his disciples, we're told, and he breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. He's a baptizer in the Holy Spirit. In other words, whenever we take that, and the, the Septuagint is the Old Testament in Greek. It's mainly in Hebrew, but it's the Old Testament in Greek. And so when we take and have the Old Testament in Greek, that is what is known as the Septuagint writings. And we go to the book of Genesis where the Lord <clears throat> breathes into Adam and Adam becomes a living soul or a, a nephish, 
A living nephesh is the word it means. It's the exact same term in the Greek as Jesus breathing into the disciples. It's the exact same. And he makes them come alive to him. Gives them power and unction. That's part of the gospel. How do we know? Even afterwards, we're told that in Acts chapter 2, in the coming of the Holy Ghost, 120, they're in the upper room, and there's a, a sound of a mighty rushing wind from heaven, and it came and surrounded the place where they were, and there was cloven tongues like as a fire set on each of their heads. And we're told that they were all baptized in the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then in the same chapter, Peter, he's out filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized from heaven. Jesus, the baptizer, had come. And he baptizes him in his spirit. And Peter says these words to the people, repent ye and be baptized every one of you for the, rem- and for the remission of sins. In the name of Jesus Christ, pardon me, for the rem- remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He's the baptizer. He's the soon coming king. Matthew 24 and 14, Jesus said, this gospel, there's the word, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations. Then shall the end come. So the gospel of the kingdom is the prophecies fulfilled in Christ and the prophecies are fulfilled in the air looking for the coming king. The gospel is, are you saved and ready for the coming of the Lord? Revelation chapter 19, we see him coming on a, a white charger, as it were, with the name written on his side, the word of God. And we're told he comes with, with a sharp sword and he smites the nations to rule them with a rod of iron. Read it in chapter 19, Revelation 19. And Revelation 20, he sets up his great white throne of judgment. And he's saying, listen, this is part of the gospel. Are you ready? Are you saved? This is the gospel. You cannot have the gospel without preaching the second coming of Christ. The identifying of the peoples. Yes, he is. Savior, healer, baptizer, coming king. I'm finishing soon. Thank you for your attention. Second Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. See the word hid? It's a word kataluto. And this is what it means. It means to cover or to hide. To cover or to hide. And what the Lord was saying, uh, and what the, uh, Paul was saying there is, it gives the idea to cover over. Whenever the disciples were in the boat, the sea began to, it says, cover the ship. It's the same word kataluto. And here he's saying, if the gospel is veiled, like the veil in the temple to keep people away from the presence of God, he says, if it's veiled, he says, it's veiled to them that are lost. You see, he says, there's lost sheep out there, there's lost people out there, and they cannot see the gospel. And they're in dire danger, he says. Listen, how is it? He says, in, the, he says, in which the, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The light of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Notice the glorious gospel, he calls it. The gospel of Christ. I need you to listen to this now. The glorious gospel of Christ is the glory of the gospel of Christ. 
I'm going to say it again. The glorious gospel of Christ is the glory of the gospel of Christ. The glory of Christ. Now listen to this. I need you to catch this. For this is central to the gospel. The glory of Christ is not The glory of Christ is not a mere quality of the gospel, or it means it's not just what it does, saves. But its very essence and its its subject matter, which means it is Christ Himself and who He is. It is not how wonderful it is as to its benefits and its manifesting fruit, although this is glorious and wonderful, but rather. It's pointing to the glorious source and the source of glory, who's Christ himself. Now, let me just give you it in a nutshell. It's not a, this glorious gospel doesn't mean, it's not all about what it does for us. We have to retract back and we look in this glorious gospel of Christ. It looks at Christ and it sees him. He is the gospel. So if you're going to preach the gospel, there is no gospel if Jesus isn't in it. That's what this means. The glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into them. Listen to John Calvin. The blindness of unbelievers in no way detracts from the clearness of the gospel. For the Son, that is the S-U-N, for the Son is no resplendent because the blind do not perceive its light. You know what John Calvin's saying? If they don't see it, it doesn't detract from the person of Christ. See if the unsaved don't believe it. See if they want to blaspheme him. See if they want to say I'm an atheist. See if they want to spit against heaven. It'll fall back in their own face. It won't damage Christ one iota. He's still the same. He's God whether you believe he's God or not. In other words, The gospel is to be published among all nations. Mark 13 and 10. The light of this gospel, Charles Hodge says, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. The light, as Charles Hodge says, the word there signifies the brightness emitted by a radiant body. In other words, the light of the glorious gospel comes from the radiant body of the Son of God. Think about this. Think about this. Please think about it. The light means the radiant body, the source of it, was nailed to the tree. That's the gospel. There is none other. There's none other. Mark 13 and 10, the gospel is to be published in all nations. Mark 14 and 9, the gospel is to be preached to the whole world. Mark 16 and 15, the gospel is to be preached to every creature. Acts 20 and 24, it's called the gospel of the grace of God. Romans chapter 1 and verse 1 is called the gospel of God. Romans chapter 1 and verse 9 is called the gospel of the Son of God. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 is called the gospel of Christ. Romans chapter 10 and verse 15 is called the gospel of peace. 1 Corinthians 15 and 1, Paul calls it the gospel which I preached. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12, Paul calls it Christ's gospel. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 14, he calls it the gospel truth. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, Paul calls it the gospel of your salvation. 
Ephesians 1, 6 and 19, he speaks of the mystery of the gospel. Philippians 1 and 5 speaks of fellowship in the gospel. Philippians 1 and 7 speaks of confirmation of the gospel. Philippians 1 and 12 speaks of furtherance of the gospel. Philippians 1 and 17 speaks of the defense of the gospel. Philippians 1 and 27 speaks of striving together for the faith of the gospel. Philippians 2 and 22 speaks of service in the gospel. Philippians 4 and 3 speaks of laboring in the gospel. Colossians 1 and 23 speaks of the hope of the gospel. 1 Timothy 1 and 11 speaks of the glorious gospel of the blessed God. And 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8 speaks of the afflictions of the gospel. 2 Timothy 1 and 10 speaks of life, immortality, and life through the blessed gospel. Revelation 14 and 6 calls it the everlasting gospel. Now we finish. The everlasting gospel. Listen, it is everlasting in its nature and so it will be in its consequences. It's everlasting in its nature and so it will be in its consequences. This good news is everlasting, but it will also be everlasting in the consequences. Second Thessalonians, verse seven, chapter one, verse seven. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels taking in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God listen and not obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in the saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day So here we have the eternal gospel will be eternal for those who believe it in this life, but it has eternal consequences for those who reject it in this life. Paul says, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory out for. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Paul says, see the necessity is, Paul doesn't preach for a living. He says, I live to preach because I live for Christ. And if a preacher's preaching to live, then he shouldn't be preaching at all. He should live to preach. Paul says necessity means forces without or within. Here Paul speaks of within. He says, I can't help myself. I am driven to preach this gospel. I must Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Oh, that all would hear that it's only at the preaching of the gospel will men be saved and our nation changed. Not at gimmicks, not entertainment, not getting in the unsaved by worldly measures, but by preaching the word. God came down and died for me.